You're listening to an app session from the 2019 Art Conference in Anaheim, California. For more resources to equip you and your local church, visit arcchurches.com. Well, man, I'm glad you guys are here. It looks like everybody went to Disneyland early today. This is always the Wednesday afternoon, 3 o'clock app session. They had me on for Tuesday, and then I had to switch it because I was hosting my pastor, Chris Hodges, and, and had to be on call for him. Uh, but I'm glad that you guys are here. Church revitalization, I don't think you can be an expert in it. I think you can just survive it. I think if you survive it, they want you to talk about how you survived it. Because it is, you know, as they say, you can either have a baby or you can raise the dead. And having a baby is much easier than raising the dead. But it is possible. You just have to know what you're called to. I knew uh, if I tried to church plant, my wife and I would have been divorced. It, it, we just we did not have the, the makeup to plant a church. But we knew we could, we could outlast people. And so church revitalization was more of what we felt called to. We felt God was leading us to take over a church and replant it to re-energize it, re-engage it, uh, and, and we just had the personalities where, where, you know, God just gave me very thick skin, so you could say ugly things about me, and I could just kind of let it blow off, but I didn't have the, the faith of a church planner, to be very honest. Church planners have to have crazy faith. I just had a toughness where I could stick out the ugly days, and that's really the difference to me between planting a church it takes crazy amount of faith that I just didn't have, or revitalizing a church, which just takes toughness. You just have to have really thick skin and be able to handle ugly things being said about you, and uh, just just you know pulling the poison out of a culture, which is just a different animal. Um, I've been blessed, and I'll share a little bit of our story. Uh, I, I only really want to talk about 20 minutes, and I want to get into some Q&A right away, because the reality is when it comes to church revitalization, there are so many variables that there's not a one-size-fits-all pattern to do it. Uh, it it's, it's based on the size of the church. It's based on the circumstances of how uh, the, the pastor came to be. Maybe you're part of a church that just died and you're trying to re-engage it. Maybe you're taking over a church. Uh, did the pastor have a failure? Did the pastor turn it over to you? There's so many variables involved with revitalizing a church that every circumstance is different. And so we need to jump into some Q&A and kind of talk through uh, where you're at and, and best practices. And I may not have the answer, but somebody else in the room may have the answer for you. And so that's why we need to jump into a discussion right away. But let me give you a couple thoughts on church revitalization. I'm working in South America with a, a team that is re-engaging churches. You know, we're, I believe in church planning. I'm a part of art. But I also believe there are a lot of good-hearted pastors out there that just don't know what to do. They're just stuck, and they don't know what to do, and they don't know how to grow, and, and, and they're just trying to figure it out. And so I'm working with a team in South America, the country that I uh, have been privileged to work in is Colombia. And so I go uh, it's six trips over three years, so twice a year, working with the same group of pastors. I've got about 300 pastors I'm working with in different cities. And we're just taking them through a process. And the churches that we work with, we're seeing about a 109% growth rate in the churches that we're training. And again, these are pastors who have good hearts. They want to grow. They want to change. But they're just stuck. And one of the, the principles that we teach is the world is flat right now. So a lot of times we say, well, what works in Colombia doesn't work in Russia. Or doesn't work in Africa. Or doesn't work in Asia. Or doesn't work in America. That's not true anymore. The reality is the world is flat right now because of this. 
And so every teenager on every continent, in every country, in the world, they're watching the same videos on YouTube, they're listening to the same music, they're wearing the same clothes. And so this whole idea of, well, that's not our culture, we need to understand our culture, that's gone. That's gone out the window a long time ago. Uh, what works in Colombia now works in Russia, now works in Asia, now works in America. So there are very, very little cultural Differences. So culture is no longer an excuse. It's now best practices because the technology that everyone have, kids in Africa have these, and again, they're on them. And they're watching, you know, and they're connected to the same things the kids here are connected to through this. So the world is very, very flat now. So it's really best practices that come into it. But I've realized when it comes to church revitalization, the biggest thing depending on if you're if you're just, if you're just taking over a church it's not as difficult because you're kind of getting into it with eyes wide open but if you're if you've been there for a little while what we realize is the biggest thing is is the fear the fear factor of if we change what if it all falls apart and so the one of the things that we do to help especially the pastors in Colombia and this has helped our church I've done this with our dream team and our leaders on a number of occasions just to help them never forget the process is a healthy church is a church that has a balance of three different chairs. So in your church, you want kind of an equal balance of all three of these chairs in your church. The first chair is the person who's visiting for the very first time or they've only been a couple times to your church. It's the guy that works at the gas station that you talk to every week or the grocery store, or the co-worker or the, the friend, the neighbor. Whoever it is, you've been talking to them for a while or you're one of your church members have been talking to them for a while and been trying to get them to come to your church. And they finally said yes and they're there for the very first time. Everything is new to them. They don't understand a whole lot of what's going on. They're, they're, they're really brand new to your church, could be brand new to Christianity, uh, but they're there. That's chair number one, and you want to have chair number one in your church. Like you're not going to grow a church without people coming into chair number one, because they're the people you want to get saved. Chair number two are the people who have gotten saved, and they've been a Christian for a short period of time, one to, one to three years, and they are on fire for Jesus. These are your... They, they sign up for everything. They're leading small groups. They're volunteering in eight different ministries. Anything the pastor says, they're doing. They're listening to podcasts. They're reading their Bible. They're highlighting the Bible. They're just on fire for Jesus. They're passionate. They're on fire. They're going for it. They're, 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 they're amazing. And that needs to be an equal balance of your church. So you want chair number one, people that are new, checking it out, figuring it out. You want chair number two, people are on fire. Chair number three... They're the people who've been around for a while. They're, they're what we call your mature believers. They've been around for a while. They like church being catered to them. Uh, they, they don't have a problem threatening the pastor or holding the church hostage. They like to say things like, we've always done it this way. Uh, they like to tell you that, well, pastor, if you do that, you know we're going to leave and we're your biggest givers. Uh, they, they just like things catered towards them. They're, they're the mature, the seasoned believers, and they like church for themselves. Now, you need chair number three in your church, but you have to teach them to remember what it was like to be chair number two. You got to help them connect to the vision again. You need the maturity so that you can disciple chair number two. You need the maturity so that you can reach out to chair number one. 
But you can't allow them to hold your church hostage or hijack the church or say uh, it's all about us. So if all you have is chair number one, you've got trouble on your hands because the church is going to be a mess. It's going to be a disaster. It's it's there's no maturity. There's no spiritual growth. It's just chaos. If all you got is chair number two, you're going to run right into a wall because they're so on fire, but they don't have the wisdom. They don't have the depth. They they don't have the maturity yet. And then if all you have is chair number three, it's going to be dead. It's going to be religious. It's probably why you're, you're in this class because you're trying to revitalize. When I took over our church, we had a church full of chair number three, and we had nobody in chair number two or chair number one. And that was the challenge. And we need to get an equal balance of all three chairs. Now, here's the challenge, though. When it comes to revitalization, you will not keep everybody in chair number three if you want to grow. This is the hardest mental barrier to cross with pastors. And when we're training in Colombia, this is the hardest thing because some of their chair number three is family. Some of these Colombian churches, they, they got a lot of, they got extended family, like 40, 50 people that are family. And a lot of those family are sitting in chair number three, and they're not going to keep them all. When they begin to make changes, when, when chair number one begins to show up and things get a little messy and things get a little dirty and things get, you know, somebody sits in, in somebody in chair number three's seat, the seat that they've sat in for the last 15 years, it, it's going to turn into chaos. And so you're not going to keep everybody in chair number three. And that's, that's usually in the Q&A. People say, well, why can't we keep everyone and reach chair number one? You just can't. I mean, that, that's an idealistic thought that just doesn't work in the real world. Now, you don't want to lose everybody in chair number three. You need chair number three. They are a bedrock of your church. You don't want to lose. You don't want to lose. You don't want to cater to them and you don't want to do anything to try to keep them. Because if you do anything to try to keep them, you're going to lose chair number one. So you cannot cater to chair number three. But what you want to do is passionately remind them about the vision. You want to passionately remind them what it was like when they were in chair number one. Tell them, what was it like when you were in chair number one? Do you you remember the crazy things we did to reach you? Do you remember what the church did to bring you in when when you first sat in chair number one? And so you've got to remind them of what it was like to be in chair number one. Remind them of what it was like to be in chair number two. Keep the vision in front of them so that hopefully you can get chair number three people to act like chair number two people. They've got the maturity and the depth of chair number three. They've got the passion and excitement of chair number two. But to reach chair number one, you will not keep all of chair number three. And that is, that is a decision you have to make up front. And that's the fear that a lot of guys have because they just, they're afraid of loss. They're afraid of, if we make these changes, we know some of them are going to leave. I remember the day our biggest giver came to me, you know, and I just took over the church and the church was in the red every single month. And I'm coming in trying to turn this dying church around. The church was I think 200 people at the largest. We took it over at 80 people. We lost over half of them in the first few months because they all liked the idea of change. But as soon as they started to feel change, they didn't like change anymore. And and they started leaving very, very quickly. And I remember our biggest donor, and this is when we were still barely surviving financially, came to me and said, if you do that, we're going to leave. And you know we're your biggest givers. And I had to make a decision that day. You know, and, and, I, and, and I told them with, with all the love I could, could that our vision is not for sale. You know, you can speak into it with wisdom, but it's not for sale. And we're going to do what God's called us to do. And I remember watching him walk out the door. And I remember the fear of how are we going to get through the month? 
And, and, and that month, our giving doubled and never went down again after losing our biggest giver. And it was just, just it, was, it was God saying, just trust me, take a step of faith. It's scary. Trust me, I am your provider, not this donor, not this big giver. I am your provider. But I had to be willing to let go of some of the chair number three to be able to build a church that would reach chair number one again so that we get people in chair number two and kind of have the balance of the three chairs. So I hope this visual helps make sense a little bit of the journey and the process. Uh, just a couple thoughts that I have for you. Um, when you're trying to revitalize, it's typically because uh, something with the relevance got stalled out. Like at one time, the church probably was relevant because you, it's there. But then something happened along the way where it lost its relevance. And one of the things that I've seen that has killed our relevance more than anything else is busyness. When I took over our church, they had 100 different things. It was basically when you have 80 people in the church, every person has their own ministry. So we had 80 different ministries when I took over the church because everybody got to do whatever they were passionate about. It was like a group vote. It was elder led. It was just it was a disaster. And I had to bring focus and bring clarity. Now, I'm not going to teach on the system uh, because my pastor, Chris Hodges, did an excellent job yesterday. And that's what we did. We adopted the Church of the Highlands model where we just did four things as a church. Now, it, it was painful because we began to lose a lot of chair number threes when I began to cut their favorite thing. And we weren't supporting their favorite mission anymore, their favorite missionary or their favorite ministry because we had to get rid of busyness and we had to get focused. You know, and I told them, I said, we can be hometown buffet or we can be Ruth Chris Steakhouse. We can do a lot of things average and subpar or we can do a few things really, really well. So to get relevance back, you have to fight the idol of busyness. You got to kill, you got to get rid of all competition in other words. So if you're going to have small groups in your church, you can't have a bunch of events during the week because most people only give you two time slots a week. They're going to give you Sunday, and then you've got to decide what the other time slot you want from them is. There's a third group of people that can give you three time slots. That's, that's retired people or stay-at-home moms. And then there's a fourth group of people we call them ministry animals. They'll be there all the time. But that's always going to be a small group of people. You can't build a church for ministry animals because they're the only ones that are going to be there all the time. Just know the average, the majority of your church is only going to give you two time slots a week. You have to decide what those two time slots are, and you've got to get rid of the competition. Get rid of the competition. You can't have things competing for their attention. And so if small groups is what you're going to do outside of Sunday, then you've got to get rid of all the other competition, events, Midweek Bible studies, other type of things that are going to pull the focus away from where you want people to be. So you've got to decide what is your pathway? What is your pathway? The one of the things that I feel like uh, we did well in turning our church around is we brought clarity. What Pastor Chris talked about yesterday. We, I'm a spiritual tour guide. My job is to just let them know the destination. We have four bus stops on our journey. If you join our church, this is where we're going to try to take you. I have an agenda for your life as your pastor. I am your spiritual tour guide. And if you want me to be your pastor, this is where I'm going to try to move you. Point A, know God. Point B, find freedom. Point C, uh, uh, discover purpose. And then point B, make a difference. That is our spiritual roadmap. And so what I did is we got rid of all the busyness and we got very, very focused. And we said we're going to do four things incredibly well. And we're not going to try to do everything. We're going to try to do four things. 
and it brought clarity, it brought focus, and when new people came in, it was very easy for them to engage. And one of the things I hear more than anything, when I have like a, a new person's lunch, I'll have a, like a lunch once a quarter where they can come and meet me and hear my personal story. And I always ask them, why did you come back the second time? I don't care why they came the first time because there's, there's a million reasons why somebody comes to your church the first time. Maybe it was a website, maybe it was a friend. I want to know why you came back the second time. Because obviously on the first time, something you saw you liked, and I want to know what that is. I want to know what we're doing well. So why did you come back the second time? And what I hear more than anything else is, is clarity. There's clarity here. Like we know exactly where you're going. It's very clear. It's very easy to figure out what this church is about and where this church is going. You know, our worship guide, we talk about four things. Our weekend services, we talk about four things. We don't have a lot. We have four things. You know, and so instead of having a million different events going on, we stay laser focused on these Four things. I say it's my job to run a small government that empowers capitalism. You know, we want you to build the ideas, the dreams, the vision of the church. I'm not using you to build my vision. I'm using my gift to build your vision. Every one of you have a vision. If you're in our church, God has a plan for your life. It's my job as your pastor to partner with God to see his plan for your life fulfilled, not to use you to fulfill God's plan for my life. You know, as a pastor, I'm here to serve you, not you to serve me. And that's resonated with people in our church because we tell them, listen, God, God's heart for every human being on earth is these four things. You know, and again, I'm, Pastor Chris did a great job yesterday. I don't want to go through it all. But you got to understand, we built our church on those four things. Like we have in, in our in our there's there's a small group of us that Pastor Chris, you know, personally pastors and Pastor Chris is kind of the top executive. He doesn't have one executive pastor. He has a team. But Lane Schrantz, if you've ever met Lane Schrantz, he's, he's one of Pastor Chris's right hand. Our, our philosophy and our church growth strategy and everything is we call it LTL, listen to Lane. Whatever Lane tells us to do, we just do. And we just ran the game plan as is. I didn't try to change it. I didn't try to you know be original. I just ran the game plan as is. Nine years in... God is now bringing me to a place where he's saying, okay, take the training wheels off and develop your own identity. But for the first nine years, I needed something that worked. I wasn't going to try to figure it out on my own. Just give me something that is proven. Give me something that works. Let me put all, because I didn't have time, you know, when, you, when you're building a church, I didn't have time to study the Bible 25 hours a week. I had to be the executive pastor. I had to be the associate pastor. I had to be the senior pastor. I had to do all sorts of jobs. So I needed a plug and play system to go with. And so I would encourage you, if you're going to revitalize a church, you've got to go after the busyness and the competition. You've got to get laser focused, and you need a roadmap that works. Something that is very easy to communicate, to give clarity, and get people to buy into. And then the other thing I would say is don't underestimate the spiritual. Uh, I, we, you know, we come to these conferences, which are wonderful, which are great. We learn leadership. We learn systems. I don't know if we always do a good enough job to help. I think most people get it. Most people understand behind the scenes, it's all about our walk with God. It's all about loving Jesus. It's all about being in a real relationship. This is not a business. It's not a job. This is a real relationship with Jesus. But I think a lot of us still, knowing that to be true, underestimate the spiritual side of ministry. We underestimate that God either touches it or he doesn't touch it. Yes, we, you know, I, I tell my staff all the time, the systems don't build our church. The systems facilitate growth. God builds the church. The systems just allow us to disciple the people God chooses to bring us. 
So the year we broke a thousand as a church, I didn't tell my staff our goal this year is to break a thousand. I told the staff, let's build a system where if God chooses to give us a thousand people, we can pastor them well. We can care for them well. We can make sure nobody falls through the cracks. And that's what we put our energy in. Jesus put it like this. Don't pray for the harvest. It's there. Pray for the workers. The workers is our system. It's our process. It's how do we handle the harvest. And so we put our energy in how do we handle the harvest. Do we have systems in place to love and care for the people that God chooses to bring us? And again, one of the things Pastor Chris has taught me forever is don't put numerical goals on anything. We want to be larger next week than this week because we love people and we're pastoring them well. But we don't set numerical goals. We let God determine the size. We just do our best to pastor people and work very, very hard to create systems that we can facilitate spiritual growth, put people on a pathway to growth. And so we do study the numbers. We don't have numerical goals, but we study every number. Every metric is important to us because metrics tell you where you're healthy, where you're not healthy. If you get in a car wreck and a paramedic shows up on the scene, the first thing the paramedic is going to do is check the metrics. They want to know your heart rate. They want to know your blood pressure. They're going to run all the numbers because the numbers will tell them where you're healthy, where you're not healthy, what needs to be addressed, what doesn't need to be addressed. So we study the metrics because the metrics help us figure out where we're healthy, where we're not healthy, and what we need to address and what we need to work on. Um, and, then I, and then I would say capitalize on your, if you're a brand new pastor, if you're, if you're taking over a church and it's recent, capitalize on the honeymoon period because you have a short window where you can do no wrong and make as many changes as you can in that short window. Because if you don't capitalize on that honeymoon season, it's going to be much, much harder to make those changes happen. Now, you need, it's playing a game of chess. You know, it really is. You've got to move out some ponds before you move out some rooks and bishops and everything else. And so you need to be strategic on thinking through what pieces to move first. There are things I wanted to change, but I knew I couldn't change that until I changed this. And this wasn't that big a deal to me, but I knew I needed to move that piece out before I can move the next piece out. So you, there's a little bit of that, but there's also a little bit of that, that first few months is a honeymoon season where you can make a lot of radical changes. And so just get some good coaches in your life, get some good friends. That's what I love about ARC is there's, there's hundreds of guys in ARC you can call and you can talk to and they would love to just brainstorm with you. Some of my greatest wisdom and greatest advice didn't necessarily come from Pastor Chris. It came from pastors of two or 300 people that were one step ahead of me. And because of the relationship with Ark, I was able to call them and say, hey, what would you do for this? What would you do for this? Like, I know what Pastor Chris would do up here, but I need to know what to do down here right now. And so capitalize on the Ark relationships. Whether you are an Ark church or not, you are welcome to call anybody in Ark at any time and get help. We love helping people. We love talking to people. That's what this whole thing is built on is relationship. So if you're isolated, that's your choice. Because ARC is open to, to helping anyone at any time, and that's what this is all about. You know, I, I, I've probably, in my nine years of pastoring the church, have had conversations with at least a hundred different ARC pastors. Uh, some of them I have ongoing relationship with. Some of them was a one-time conversation. All of them helped me. All of them helped me. And that is available to you. That is absolutely 100% available to you. You can at least get one conversation with someone. Sometimes you get a divine connection. You have ongoing relationship with them. But there is always something you can learn, even if it's just a one-time conversation. So take advantage of that. 
And then the last thing I'll say is honor the past and God will bless the future. You know, one of the things I, I did well is I honored the past. The, the founding pastor of the, the church I took over, it's a horrible situation of how the church fired him and he was out of ministry and jaded and, and burned out. I actually sought him out and asked for his blessing to take over the church. Now, he'd been out of the church for two years before I became the pastor. There was an interim pastor. But I sought out the founder, and, and I honored him. And I said, listen, I want your blessing. And I actually brought him to my very first Sunday, and we took a love offering for him. And it, it, was, it, was, you know, it was pretty radical for the church, but it restored him to ministry. And then he uh, took a church in Tennessee, and, and he's now back in ministry because of reaching out to him. So honor the past, and God will bless your future. But let me also say, we honor the past, but we're loyal to the future. We're not loyal to the past, we honor the past. One of the worst things you can do is be loyal to the past. Well, this person's been around forever. Well, can they do the job? If they can't do the job, they're not going to help you get to the future. We have to be loyal to the future, but we always honor the past. And if you're holding somebody, if you're holding on to someone just because they've been around forever, you're holding them out of what God has for them. You know, sometimes letting somebody go is the best thing you can do for their purpose on earth. Because if they're out of purpose, working for you, you're holding them back from where God has for them. Because God has a plan for their life. And sometimes it's hard for us to believe that, but God has a plan for everyone. God has a plan for every human being on earth. And if, if His plan is not for them to be on your staff, you got to let them go. you got to let them go no matter how long they've been around. Because they need to get connected to what God has for them. It's not an easy thing to do, but it's the right thing to do for their sake, for the sake of the church, and for the sake of the future. Um, also, I've got a list of questions that we use when we're, we're coaching, consulting. Uh, I'll read through them quickly, and then I can email these to anyone that wants them. These are great to use with your staff, core leaders, sit around and have some honest conversations. Uh, first list is I call my philosophical questions. Uh, is your church a club for Christians or a lighthouse for the world? Is your church a place to enjoy or endure? Is your church a museum for saints or a hospital for sinners? Is your church an obligation or celebration? Is your church a routine and ritual or an inspiring and positively challenging place? Is your church the same today as it was two years ago, five years ago, and ten years ago? If you're not changing every year, in in, in three or four years, you're going to be completely out of date. Look how fast culture is changing. Culture changes every nine months. The culture changes. Uh, are children and youth attracted to your church? Are people changing for the better? Are people being spiritually informed or spiritually transformed? Is your target the head or the heart? Is your goal to impress with knowledge or impart and help people process real life change? These are great questions for revitalization. Are you practical in your teaching? Are new leaders developing? Are marriages and families improving? Are new people coming? Are messages and ministries making a difference? Are you preaching and teaching for reaction or results? Does your presence matter in the community? Are generations represented? One of the greatest things we saw in our church is we are evenly mixed with every age group. We don't have a heavy young population or young family population. We have as many 80-year-olds as we have 20-year-olds in our church. And I love that. I love the healthy mix of age groups in our church. And then practical questions. What ministry programs and activities take up time but bear little or no fruit? You've got to be honest with some of these questions. Are you keeping your people too busy with ministry, events, and activities? How much prayer, preparation, and planning goes into your weekend services? What do unbelievers see and sense when they attend your church? 
How easy is it for people to understand what happens in your services? How much time is wasted on this unnecessary things in your services? Like we don't announce everything on Sunday, you know, like if we have a staff change, we don't talk about it on Sunday because somebody's about to get divorced and they could care less what's happening on our staff. They're, they're, they're at church for hope to see their marriage restored. They don't care about our drama. You know, church is not the time to do a business meeting, you know, so keep church business out of Sunday. That's the time where people want, you know, they, they just need Jesus. They don't need your church business. They need Jesus. So don't do church business on Sunday. Um, uh, how long are your services? Are your facilities clean? What are the atmosphere and worship? Uh, what's the level of excellence? Uh, and remember, excellence is doing your absolute best with what you have. Excellence is not about money. It's about how you take care of what you've been given. Are your services and atmosphere warm, friendly, orderly? What unnecessary distractions are in your services? What do newcomers see when they come to your services that you don't see anymore, that you, you're now blind to? Do you have clear, understandable signage? Do you have clear next steps that help people connect with your church? What are you doing for kids and youth? If you email uh, me, my email is Aaron, A-A-R-O-N, Aaron. And then our church website, at coastlinechurch.org. Aaron at coastlinechurch.org. I'll email you that list of questions. It's a great exercise to get with some key leaders. And, and make sure you have leaders that aren't intimidated by you. Um, I have to work hard with my staff because they're intimidated by me half the time because I'm very intense. I'm very focused. And so I've got to really like, I got to spend like 10 minutes telling them to be honest. Like, like give me the truth. Don't tell me what I want to hear. Um, I, I, I need the truth. You know, I know I can be intense, but just, just know that I'm never going to get mad at you. You can challenge me. You can disagree with me as long as it's respectful and behind closed doors. I can handle that. And we talk things through. But I have to, I don't know, it's based on your personality. I've got to work with them to get comfortable to have those honest conversations about what we're doing wrong. Like, what am I doing wrong as a preacher? How can I communicate better and have those honest conversations with them? But those questions are incredibly helpful. So Aaron at CoastlineChurch.org. All right, let's, uh, we got a few minutes for Q&A. I was an abrupt Q&A start. Anything you guys want to talk about? I don't have all the answers, and I don't know your context, but is uh, whatever you want to challenges you're going through that we could talk through or, or whatever. This is more like looking ahead, Aaron. But you talk about being nine years in, and you're getting ready to do some things that will kind of give you your own unique identity. What does that look like right now? Um, I mean, there, there's a there's a few things for me. Uh, I tried to be a complete copy of Pastor Chris for the first eight or nine years. And I, I think I needed to be because I still, I didn't know what I was doing. Like I, I spent 16 years at the dream center in Los Angeles. I didn't know the first thing about running a real church. Like I was good with homeless people and drug addicts and street people, but now I'm in a suburban wealthy community and I'm like, dude, this is foreign to me. So I was pastor Chris and I don't have his spiritual gift mix. Like I don't think you would mind me saying this. He doesn't have the gift of mercy. He'll walk by somebody crying their eyes out. If he sees a leader, I have the gift of mercy. I love helping hurting people. I love going down to Mexico and serving. He's never been to one of their dream centers. They bought dream centers in Birmingham. He's never stepped foot on one. He, it's just not his, it, it's not his passion. I was one of the, I was, you know, on the founding team of the dream center. So for us, allowing compassion ministry to really come to the forefront of our church. 
Because it's it's who I am and it's my it's my history. That's something that they have it at Church of the Highlands, but it's not Pastor Chris. It's not who he is. And so every church is, is you know like we teach in the growth track uh, when you take your spiritual gifts test. Your purpose in life is a reflection of your spiritual gifts. Well, every church is a reflection of the heart of the senior pastor. There's things that make that senior pastor who that senior pastor is. I repressed all of that because I was being Pastor Chris for nine years. And I needed to. It wasn't wrong for me. So, So hear me. It was the right thing and the right season to do because I, 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 you know, I, I could not have built the church to where it's at today if I was me. It just wouldn't have worked. I needed to be Pastor Chris for that season. Now we have a foundation. Now God's bringing me into my own, and it's now time for me. And, and I know this, there's probably a better way to say it, so if I'm offending you at how I'm communicating this right now, forgive me. I know there's probably a better way to articulate it. I just don't have it right now. Um, now it's time for me to, to, my preaching style is a little bit different than Pastor Chris. For nine years, I've taught like Pastor Chris. I'm now kind of teaching more along the lines of, of my heart and focus. Um, I'm highlighting compassion ministry more through, through what I'm personally doing and showing photos and videos of, of, you know, when I go down to Mexico and things and talking more about some of that stuff. Because it's, it's, it's more the culture of our community. Now, we're not abandoning our system. We still know God, find freedom, discover purpose, make a difference. We still do those four things. I'm just adding a flavor on top, if that makes sense. The cake is still the same. I'm just I'm putting different icing on top. Yes? So is it fair to say that if you wanted to tell somebody just like, uh, you want to do revitalization, the art model, I mean, did you, did you, did you experience that, like, feel like you were doing revitalization and you took the art and said, look, you did what, 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 what's in the book, basically. Yeah. It's grow. It's, it's the grow training that we do at Church of the Highlands. So art is built off of grow. Grow is Pastor Chris's. So grow was born in Pastor Chris's heart. He wanted to take a, a, a thousand churches under a thousand and help them break a thousand. What is that? That's church revitalization. So art is planting churches. Grow is strengthening existing churches. So church revitalization is grow. And, and it's what we learn at the Grow Conference in Alabama. So if, if, you, if you really want to take a next step in church revitalization, the Grow Conference in Alabama is what you want to attend. Art's great because you get inspired. But, I mean, I don't need inspiration. Like, like I'm, I'm motivated. So it's like I, I, need, I need principles. I want to know how to do this. And that's what grows. Pastor Chris will tell you up front, this is not a conference. You know, you're not going to hear great preaching at Grow, but we're going to tell you where we bought the TV and where you can get a light bulb like that. And if, if, if you want to know where we bought the chairs, we're going to tell you all that. And it's going to be very, very practical. And they do grow based on churches of 200 to 500. So they're 70,000 members, whatever, but they teach grow back from when they were much, much smaller. And so I would encourage you to grow. My first time at Grow, I couldn't afford to go because our church was struggling and Highland scholarship me. They they scholarship, they, they put about two hundred thousand dollars in the scholarshiping pastors to go to grow that can't afford to be there. Because Chris's philosophy is, you know, why are we gonna have a conference for the people who need to be here if they can't be here? And so 
when you get to grow, I've never been anything like it. I mean, they give you breakfast, they give you lunch, they give you, they don't take offerings, they, they don't sell anything, there's no vendors, there's not like when you go through ARC, all the vendors here, which is wonderful, uh, but at Grow, there's no vendors, you know, and Pastor Chris tells you, if you want something, take it, you know, I mean, if you can't pay for it, take it. You know, we want to invest in you. I've never been in an environment like that. He said, you take the TV if you want the TV, just wait till after Sunday, because I need it on Sunday. You know, I mean, that's just who they are. They're, they're the most generous people I've ever seen. Their church spends about $300,000 out of their mission budget to do grow every year because they look at it as a mission work because they want to help churches grow. And so I would encourage you, if you can't afford to go, write them and say, I need a scholarship and get them the scholarship you to go because it'll make a difference. That, that's, that was my revitalization strategy is I went to grow my first year and it changed my life. I was like, I can do that. I'm not that smart. Like, I can't do, you know, all this other stuff. But I can do those four things. Made it very easy for me. What are your numerical goals? None. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Uh, you talk about study, but you said... Yeah. You study the numbers. I should have rephrased that question. So what numbers are you studying? I, I, I want to see the movement of people. I want to know how many people are in growth track, how many people are in small groups, how many people are taking their first step, how many people are being water baptized. Uh, to be honest, I don't track the salvation metric all that much. And I probably shouldn't say that at dark because um, I know some churches really track that metric. I, I have a hard time with that one because like how many people are really being born again for the first time or recommitting or... And I think it's wonderful, but I want to track their first step in discipleship. I love the salvation part, um, but, but I want to track their first step in discipleship. Because to me, somebody who's born again is going to begin a discipleship process. When, when, when they came to Peter, they said, they said to Peter, what must we do? And I think somebody who legitimately gives their life to Christ says, what must I do? And they're going to take a step. And so what we work very hard on is making very clear first steps and next steps. You know, we tell everyone in the church, everybody has a next step, including me. I've got a next step in my relationship with Jesus. And the goal of our church is that every single one of us are taking our next step. Not, not asking you to take three steps or five steps, just your next step. What is your personal next step in your relationship with Jesus? We talk about that a lot, and then we, we work very hard to make it clear what the steps are. And so people can easily identify their next step. So we, we track steps, if that makes sense. Yeah, I got that. Thank you. Um, so you talked about the three chairs in the beginning, and chair number one, we need to reach them. So what would you say to a church that has just the chair number three? And what would you say to them about reaching out? How do you, how do you get... Yeah. It's not good. I've heard numbers anywhere from you need five first time guests every Sunday for every hundred people that you would have showing up. I don't even have hundred people showing up on Sunday morning. But I don't have a lot of first time guests, so what tactics, tools, strategies, things that you would do to get people in? Well the worst thing you can do is get people into a bad product because then they never come back. So you've got to clean up the experience first before you start really bringing people in. And what I've found is, I know people have a lot of different philosophies on this, and I'm, I'm for them all. Um, what i found for us is we've never done marketing or outreaches in the community. I just, you know, I think of Starbucks. Starbucks, I've never seen a Starbucks commercial or Starbucks advertisement, ever. You know, they just create a... a 
good experience and a decent cup of coffee. It's not even a good cup of coffee, but it's a decent cup of coffee. It's consistent. And it's, it's a consistent experience and people come back and, and it just builds off of that. And so we just focus on creating a, if Sunday doesn't work, nothing works. If Sunday doesn't work, you don't have small groups. If Sunday doesn't work, you don't have a dream team. So, so the first thing to fix is Sunday, the Sunday experience. You know, those questions that I put out are a great, that'll help you more than anything. Go through those questions with, with an honest heart and ask yourself about the Sunday experience. And so I can't answer a whole lot other than the fact that if Sunday doesn't work, nothing works. So, so Sunday is the first thing you need to fix. And when that, that's fixed, people become proud of it and start bringing people. Yeah. So we're almost on the opposite end of that train. We've got a crazy situation. I'll speak this way a little bit too. Um, we're eight months into it. Mm-hmm. A church that was already planted about three years ago, kind of. Uh, they went without leadership for like 10 months. And we've got a lot of chair number one. Mm-hmm. More people who are sincere, maybe they're Christian, maybe they're not, but they kind of serve. They're exhausted because they did it without leadership for 10 months. Mm-hmm. We're showing up eight months in. Finances are a mess. Volunteer situation is scarce. Or the ones that are there like just want to quit because they've been doing it for a while. Mm-hmm. We don't have a lot of freaks. We don't have, like, a guy challenged me last two weeks ago, like, start praying that God would send winners to our church so, like, they can help carry the load. Like, it's, I feel like we're drowning in the need of the burden of what's yeah. here and trying to keep it simple, but we do get, we get a lot of visitors. Yeah. And those that are coming get excited, get passionate, but to disciple him. Yeah, it's it. You have to start with yourself, taking twelve people and pouring your life into them and building chair number three. God, you don't want God to send you chair number three because there's a lot of baggage that comes with that. You want to make your own chair number three. Like if you get chair number threes, they're going to have opinions. They're going to know how you should be doing it. It's going to be a disaster if 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 you get a bunch of chair number threes coming to your church. You have to make them with your culture and your DNA, and so. What I would do is not put a lot of energy into reaching chair number ones right now because that it sounds like that's naturally going to happen for you. That's your strength. So you need to put more energy in developing chair number three. You're, look at your teaching series on Sunday. Start looking at your teaching series on Sunday as I'm developing chair number three. I need to, I need to turn this a little bit from evangelism to discipleship. And really become very discipleship oriented for a season so that you can build what you need. And, and set up a couple small groups personally uh, of guys and girls that you can pour into and talk about this is what it means to be a mature believer and find, a, find some good curriculums. Freedom that Highlands does to me is the best. You know, we, we've done that for five, six years and it's been the, one of the biggest factors of our growth. Um, and we just do that program as is and that's been great for developing maturity. But, the, but that's, that's my thought. And I don't know the context fully, and so take that with a grain of salt. Yes? Uh, what kinds of things do you, have you done to affirm the chair number three while still pushing forward to the future? You just honor them. Like I said, you honor the past, but you be loyal to the future. So I honor them, honor them, honor them, but I don't cater to them. I'm loyal to the vision, so I honor them, but I also try to cast a vision. I try to help them see the vision. You know, I tell them, we can build a church for the 99 that are found, or we can build a church for the one that's lost. 
Jesus, as a good shepherd, will actually leave the 99 that are found because they're a distraction, and he'll go look for the one that's lost. Where do we want to be? You know, do we want to build a church for the 99 share number threes? Or the ones, and so you've got to keep casting that vision in front of them. If they're mature, you've got to use the Bible. You've got to use Jesus. Get them to see Jesus. Yes, sir. Uh, my question is related to, you talked about following, basically following the footsteps of Pastor Chris. Mm-hmm. There are some giftings and mix of gifting that are not identical. And when you started in that process, now you're nine years in. Obviously, you've probably tremendously grown, like many leaders, you just be alive and move forward. What, in the midst of that growth, and, and basically by like, using the word emulating Pastor Chris and then learning how to find your own rhythms, what helped you grow in confidence and push the insecurities away that maybe, or maybe you didn't have them? But I just think about, I'm learning so much from some of these leaders. And um, I feel the same way as you described it. Yeah. I'm, I'm modeling. I'm more insecure now that I'm stepping out than I was when I was being Pastor Chris. Yeah. I felt very confident being Pastor Chris because I knew the game plan. It was very easy. Yeah. I mean, I knew what I needed to do. And, and, and I had an outline. I had a model. I had, I had something to copy and emulate. And I felt very safe in that. So I'm actually now starting to feel more insecure trying to find myself a little bit more in the process of where God's taking me individually. But again, I think I have a foundation of confidence now because I, I, I built in something that I knew worked. It was easy to be confident because I knew it worked. I bought into it. And, and, and that could be any leader. That, that, you know, and Pastor Chris just had my voice. You know, like a sheep will know its shepherd. Like he had my, you know, I, I knew his voice. It was like, he thinks a lot like me. You know, I don't have his gifting. Like he's off the charts with leadership. I don't have that. He can disciple people like crazy. I don't have that ability that he has. But there's a lot of, of me in him. I think a lot like him. And, and so I just, I responded to his voice. So I don't know yet. I'll let you know. I'm working through my insecurity now. Because you do second guess. It's like, okay, I know that works. Do I want to go back and just... But I, but I really feel like God's pulling me to become me a little bit more. And, and that's very uncomfortable right now. Yeah, I feel the same thing. And, and I resonate with the way you described all that before. And I think, it's, I think it should be leaned into more positively than sometimes we feel it should. Yeah. To look to a mentor, a model, so Paul did. Yeah, nobody did it without. One church, Paul said, "You follow Jesus because you're further along the road." Then another church says, "You follow me as I follow Jesus." Mm-hmm. You know, based on the stage of where they were at, I'm kind of in that transition right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you know, trying to be original is the worst thing you can do in Christianity and ministry. You know, I love what Rick Warren always says. He had the pastor come to him. It's like, well, I'll be original, or I'll be nothing. Rick said, well, "Congratulations, you're both." Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like I, I said the only the, the only thing that uh, you know you can do is just learn to hide your sources better. But we're all getting it from somebody. Yeah. Like Pastor Chris, he's just he's really good at hiding the sources, changing the titles, changing the names. But you know, it, it's he's still learning it from somewhere. Yes. You know, none of us are getting like 
you know, every once in a while, like a couple times a year, you may get a fresh revelation from God to preach. But most of the time, you're getting it from a book, you're getting it from study, you're getting it from a research, you're getting it from a podcast. Don't be ashamed of that. I mean, it's, you know, I remember uh, Tommy Barnett led me to Christ. And he's like, he's like, my, you know, I lived with him for years. So he's like a father. And Pastor Chris is like my pastor. And um, I remember some guy, you know, like attacked Pastor Tommy for preaching other people's sermons. Because he still does to this day. I mean, he did for like, he built all of his ministry off of Jack Isle's sermons. And, and it's not a secret. And uh, this guy was like all mad and like going after him. And he said, let me ask you a question. He just, he gets fired up. He goes, if I preach one of your sermons and a bunch of people get saved, are they not going to heaven? And just like shut them down. He's like, would you be against that? Would you be against, like if I used your sermon and a bunch of people got saved, would you be against that? I mean, he just, he can get fired up. Watch out for that side of him. Well, thank you guys. Let me pray for you. Father, we thank you. God, never let this become a job to us. Uh, Let us realize that, you know, we used to do this for free. The fact that some of us get paid to do what we used to do for free is just unbelievable. You know, we're just so grateful that that we get to do this for a living. And, And we just thank you. God, let it never become a job to us. Let it just remain our passion and our heart. And God, let our relationship with you stay real. You know, through all the heartaches, through all the ups and downs, through all the ugly things that are said, you know, through all the betrayals that we go through as pastors, God, let us never forget it's all about you and our relationship with you will get us through any of it. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed this session from the Art Conference. Our heart is that you are more encouraged and excited about your calling than ever before. For dates and locations and to register for an upcoming art conference, visit artconference.com.